The scripture reading tonight is from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and repentest of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, I beseech thee, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up and over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm which attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a sultry east wind and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, a great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The word of the Lord. Well, I'm, uh, I'm telling this story not because I want to tell it, but only because you keep asking to hear it. Plus, to tell you the truth, I'm kind of sick of hearing about your daughter and her problems. Not that I don't care or don't wish her well in her treatment program, or that I'm not glad she or the cops or whoever it was got her boyfriend into that anger control group. Because if half the stuff you told me about him is true, he sure as hell needs it, or better yet, some jail time. Not that I've never raised my hand in anger, though I'm not proud of it. I was brought up that way. But even at my worst, I never said anything on fire, let alone a camper with 11 cats inside it. And of course I agree they should take away his guns, but for God's sake, this is West Texas. Well, they'll take away your house and your kids and your vote and your life like they was nothing, but never ever your guns, so I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. Just tell your daughter to get out and not leave a forwarding address. Because in my experience, you women could solve a lot of problems that way. I can tell you it would have made a difference in my own mom's life who unfortunately felt the back of the hand all too often, but never left. <clears throat> so anyway, I figure it won't matter if I tell you, because no offense, 
but I don't figure we'll stay in touch much once I blow out of this crap job. Not that I haven't enjoyed your company over these long, hot nights, but frankly, I don't think we have much in common, except maybe bad luck, as is proved by the fact that we're both working this graveyard shift in a friggin' quickie mart out in the middle of West Texas. So anyway, this story takes me back to the middle of September, during what must have been about the 10th straight week of 100 plus degree temperatures. And no rain for as far back as anybody could remember, and my window unit was busted, and here it was, over 90 degrees and not even 10 in the morning yet. <clears throat> so when the phone rang, I figured it just might be my Johnny on the spot landlord, and I answered it. Well, turned out it was my sister Carol calling to say she'd buried her mom a couple days back. But that's not all she had to say. She told me I had to come back to Minnesota to deal with the old man, get him to agree to move into an old folks' home, because she sure as hell wasn't going to take care of him, not after what he'd done to her. Well, I tried to get out of it, but then she played her ace on me by threatening to remind me just exactly what the old man had done to her. Don't make me remind you of why I can't take care of him, Jonah, she said. Or have you forgotten? Maybe you have. Maybe I need to remind you. So I had no choice but to cut her off and promise to her that I return to the scene of the crime, which happened in this case to be Hallock, Minnesota. Now I knew the old man would never listen to me or to anybody. But if that's what it took to get Carol off my back, I'd drive up there to tell the old man there was nobody to look after him, and he either had to move into the old folks' home or die of booze and bile. Maybe I'd get lucky and he'd fall down and break his neck before I got up there. <clears throat> so a couple days later, I pointed my 97 Grand Am north and headed up the bone-dry highway. I saw the dust cloud swirl behind me. I have never seen a drought like this in all my 52 years on this sorry planet. I made it as far as Oklahoma City and I checked into this motel, but the only room they had for some reason, I mean, it seemed almost empty, but the only room they had was this little broom closet with only one window, and that window faced directly into the back of a gas station. There couldn't have been more than three feet between the window and the wall, so no light or no air could get through. You know, it was like I was in some kind of a, I don't know, a tanker or a submarine or something. That seems like kind of a weird way to describe it since this was Oklahoma and it was just as dry as Texas and there was no water anywhere around. But anyway, I didn't plan to spend any time in the room. I had a buddy up there and I had every intention of ringing him up and getting drunk and seeing what we could scare up. So we went out and 
I drank even more than I'd planned, and I ended up with this red head, or at least that's what she claimed. It was kind of hard to tell in the dim, smoky, greasy light of the bar where I met her. So I figured maybe I'd just stick around Oklahoma. Maybe that was far enough north. And forget about my promise to Carol. But the third night out, the redhead and me got into it. And the guy she ended up leaving with slugged me. Then another guy came up and he said he knew all about my troubles and he bought me some drinks. And we went back to his truck and smoked what I thought was some weed, but it must have been dusted with something else. Because I woke up that night in my closet of a motel room and everything was spinning. But it was worse than just ordinary bed spins. It was like I was burning alive and I couldn't swallow and I couldn't breathe. And I thought for sure I was going to die in that hellhole of a motel. That's how it was for the next three days. With my fever burning me up. And I was ready to die and thought that would be the best outcome. But after that, somehow, the fever broke. And then I figured, I've got no choice. Wasn't just Carol anymore. I figured I had God breathing down my neck. Now, I may be a lot of things, a lot of bad things. But one thing I'm not, I'm no atheist. I know there's a God, all right. And I know he's got my number. I know he's a hard case, just like my old man. And if I cross him, I'll pay. Maybe I've forgotten that, or thought he had forgotten me. But after spending three days spinning around in circles, in that claustrophobic hotel room, and being spit back out on the open road, I knew where I was headed, which was to Hallock, which is to say, straight to hell. <clears throat> so a couple days later, I pull into town. I drive by the grain bins and the farm implement stores and the churches and the beer joints where the old man had worn out several generations of bar stools. and So I decided to stop at my cousin Annabelle's house just to get the lay of the land with the old man. Now Annabelle barely recognized me, but when she did, she was about as friendly as a 45-year-old Norwegian-German woman is capable of being. Her husband and her kids were out, but her mother, the old man's sister Ingrid, was around. Aunt Ingrid's MS had progressed pretty far, and so she was in a wheelchair. Anyway, they told me that they'd been praying for me, praying I'd come up there and talk some sense into the old man and get him to repent and turn his life around before he played out his final act. And they had faith he'd listen to me. I figure that was about as likely as the next Summer Olympic Games being hosted in Hallock, but I said I'd talk with him. So later that afternoon, I, I walked up to the door of the house where I'd spent my childhood, if you could call it that. 
and I felt so numb and removed that it was like I was in a trance. I walked into the house, and there was the old man, sitting on the couch, drinking what I thought at first for sure was bourbon, but then I realized it was just Pepsi. He looked up at me, and I looked down at him, and then I let him have it. I told him what a lousy father and husband he'd been, what a miserable, mean drunk, and how he'd burned his last bridge, and the only thing left was for him to move into the old folks' home so as not to be a burden on Carol. I told him I knew he wouldn't do it, but anyway, I promised Carol I'd deliver the message. And then, just for good measure, I added that he should be sorry for his mean, miserable ways and should throw himself on God's mercy. Fat chance that had happened. I expected him to laugh in my face or maybe even take a swing at me. wouldn't be the first time. But he just sat there. And it even looked like his eyes were kind of tearing up. Well, I'd had enough of him for a lifetime. So I told him I was leaving, but I'd check on him tomorrow to see if my message had sunk in, which I knew it wouldn't have. I don't know, I guess I just wanted the satisfaction of hearing him tell me to go to hell one last time, just to confirm what I already knew about him and to make sure his sorry fate was sealed before his maker for all the misery he caused so many people. So that night I checked into another cheap motel, and the next day I stopped by Annabelle's house just to let her know that I delivered the message to the old man. So, imagine my shock when Annabelle opened the door. I walk into her living room, and there, right in front of me, sat the old man. And not only him, but my crippled Aunt Ingrid and Annabelle's husband Donald, who still had the ruddy face of the hockey player he used to be 15 years and about 95 pounds ago, and their two boys who looked enough like Donald that you didn't have to wonder, which you never would, about Cousin Annabelle, and their little girl who might manage to light up a few boys before she married some dullard who'd end up retiring his hockey jersey along with the best years of his life by the time he was 25. <clears throat> well, I frankly couldn't believe what happened next. I still can't. I never will. Aunt Annabelle and or Annabelle and Aunt Ingrid were crying, and so was the old man, and Annabelle explained how the old man had called her over to his house that night and told her that my words had rung true in his heart, like the words of some Old Testament prophet, and how he'd suddenly grasped all the misery he'd inflicted on everybody, and how finally, in his last years, he wanted to learn how to give and receive love. And then the old man chimes in, saying how he was begging my forgiveness, even though he knew he didn't deserve it, and how I had brought him to the throne of God on bended knee, and he'd been up all night reading his Bible, and he realized now that even if no human being could ever forgive him, 
not his own children or kin. And even if he could never forgive himself, God's mercy was so vast and infinite that God could forgive him. Just as Jesus had forgiven his crucifiers and the thieves on the cross next to him. Well, I was just in shock. And then, if all that weren't enough, Annabelle's kids performed this skit, and they sang these songs they'd learned at Lutheran Day Camp for their grandpa. And Annabelle was crying, the old man was crying, even Donald was tearing up, and Aunt Ingrid was praising God and raising up amens to the point where I I thought the old gal was going to get up out of her wheelchair and walk across the room. And then the kids started in on some more camp songs, and I swear to God all we needed to turn this damn thing into a regular Hallmark TV after-school special was a couple Norman Rockwell prints and a black Labrador puppy. Yeah, I don't even want to go into the rest of the day. Let's just say I got out of there and drove as far south as I could. I got to northern Iowa before I checked into another roadside motel. That night, I was so obsessed about the old man that I forgot my portable CD player in the car. God had dealt me some bad hands. Come to think of it, nothing but bad hands. But this was the worst set of cards I'd ever had to play. For reasons beyond my comprehension, God had decided to use me as the agent of the old man's 11th hour redemption. I thought I knew God for the hard case he was. And yet here he was showing mercy to the worst sinner he'd ever managed to create. Well, I always expect the worst. But I had no idea that God would go this far to humiliate me. So early the next morning, when I left the motel, the air turned bitter cold and the sky was sleeting hard ice pellets. When I came around to the driver's side of my grandam, I saw some jackass had broken the window just to steal my CD player. I mean, how much could that thing have been worth, I ask you? So I... I brushed the broken glass off the seat as best I could. And I started down the road with the sleet pelting into the left side of my face. And as I got further south, the cold sleet turned into a warm, sticky rain. But you know, you know, now the funny thing is that no matter where I was, there was that rain no matter how far south I got, there was that rain. Even though the drought was still in full swing. And I can't prove this, but I'd swear it wasn't raining anywhere else except right where I was. I could see the end of the rain on the horizon in front of me, but when I reached what should have been a clear sky, there it was still raining, and the clearing was still on the horizon. So I kept driving, me in the rain, right through the rolling hills of Iowa and the flatlands of Nebraska, down into the dust bowls of Kansas and Oklahoma, and straight into the dusty, bone-dry heart of West Texas.